Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Crossroads wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across Sheffield from the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. So other podcasters that you'll be able to see include Katie Price, Catherine Ryan, Ramesh Ranganathan and the original Adam Buxton. But there's also a whole host of free fringe events, family shows, surprise acts and after parties that Jane and I haven't yet been invited to. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information. Hello everybody, sensational news. This is the first episode of a brand new series of The Ruck, the Times and Sunday Times weekly rugby podcast. This is the Phoenix episode. In other words, we are rising back into the heavens for yet another season. Uh, We're coming to you from our studios on the South Bank in London, under the shadow of the mighty Shard. Oh, come on, what what an intro. Come on, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I listened to it now. Thank you for being with us. Tell your friends and your flatmates and your family. We'll be with you right until the end of this season, which goes on forever. There'll be something for everyone. There'll be top rugby, but we never forget in this room and on this panel today that rugby is all shapes and sizes, all sexes, also all standards. So we're not just going to be there at the top of the game. Hopefully there'll be something for everyone, boys boys and girls. Uh, You can get back to us. If there's anything you hear you agree or disagree with or you hate or love, please let us know and then we'll try and respond to you. You can get in touch with us at theruck at thetimes.co.uk. Please get in touch. Let's make this a two-way thing. Typically, we've got a major panel uh, of denizens here today. Uh, Owen Slot, the rugby correspondent of The Times. Hello, Jonesy. Uh, welcome back. Nice to, to see you with You're- your new North Devon tan. I said North Devon Town. No, you you've cracking. got a Cornish Town. I have indeed. It's yeah. Cornish Town. Big Al, Alan Demick from Rugby World. Al's had a busy time. He's been away at, on Sevens. Also, uh, for those of you who heard it, and, and many of you did, and those of you who read it in Rugby World, did a big uh, piece on uh, drinking in the game. Uh, it used to be a br- great fun topic, uh, but uh, the way that Al was uh, presenting it, very, very much not a fun topic because it's a dangerous the, topic. Al's been to the Sevens. Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah. All right. Well, so we just got. To, he's been to San Francisco. Okay. You've been to Devon. I went to Cornwall. Yeah, I know. Something's gone wrong there. And finally, and not last and not least, Alex Lowe from the Times. Alex, uh, good summer. Uh, yeah, lovely summer. Off season felt rather shorter than it should have done. Yeah. The uh, rugby news beat didn't really end. Yeah. Um, because you worked too hard. Well, seriously, <laughs> it's just amazing what he does. I know those people. Wanting some time off was slightly scuppered by Danny Cipriati <laughs> in Journey in Jersey, and also by the fact that the RFU then called him to 50, 65 different <laughs> hearings about having a couple of drinks. You know, the only one he didn't go to was the European Court of Human Rights. Maybe that's Danny for you. When we left you at the end of last season, we were in uh, Owen and I at least were in Camps Bay, a lovely place in South Africa, <coughs> and we were bringing to you our thoughts, uh, Owen, on the third Test match where England had, or had they not, 
made a comeback. But that's where we left it. What's happened since with England? Yeah, that that was that was where the last chapter finished, wasn't it? And um, and then we was sadly said goodbye to each other. Plane took off, sun went down, and and now we. Does anyone know if England are uh, any closer to knowing where they are or what what they're doing? Uh, I think we're all in a state of complete sort of flummoxedness, if that's a word that we use regularly on the. When we left South Africa, specifically, everyone expected at that time there to there to be an England new defence coach appointed within a week. I think was how how it was foretold at the time, and we're still this is two months on and there's still no defence coach. I've no idea why it's taken so long. We I think we know it's going to be John Mitchell. Um, mm. They're haggling over it, aren't they? They're but, haggling. The RFU went in at fifty grand compensation, and the Bulls came back with five hundred grand. We can come on to John Mitchell a little, a little bit later, but uh, he's hardly got the most dazzling record of of, of uh, adoring players in his wake whenever he leaves behind. I Most think, of them I think don't like that's him. about as nice as anyone's ever been about him. No, I know. Al, um, shirking at sevens, okay, we'll forgive you, but what was your uh, what mem- rugby memories have you got since you spoke to us last? Actually, I had a really interesting tip off the trip off the back of going to San Francisco. I was lucky enough to. Uh, spend the day with the Seattle Seahawks uh, NFL team went up to Seattle uh, saw their incredible facility and spoke to a lot of their coaches um, they invited me in to talk about rugby because they're using a lot of rugby technique it was the first day of their pre-season camp um, so that was just an interesting way to see how rugby is affecting other sports which right. was nice so basically swanning around the US ok it would typically the Seattle Seahawks organisation to go straight to, straight to the top absolutely Arthur, sorry, Alex. <laughs> it's very difficult not to use people's nicknames all the time, isn't it? Mr. Lowe, your summer and what rugby items held your attention? So I, I got to go to Japan briefly, um, the highlight of which was a trip to Kamaishi, a small town on the coast which was devastated by the the tsunami, uh, which is now... They've just reopened a new community stadium. It's going to host two World Cup games, a really powerful story um, and it was a it was a quite humbling place to go to to, to, to meet the people who I got to meet and uh, I'm going to write a piece around that uh, for around one year to go but it was, um, it was a pretty special opportunity to go there um, Lucky readers <laughs> But as, as I said the, the, the rugby news beat just hasn't hasn't really stopped right. and the RFU had a, had a summer to forget from not just the results in South Africa but they had coaches and players apologising for, for conduct they've, they've had the the women's team um, discussing strike action over contracts. They've had the grassroots talking about revolts and calling special general meetings against the the chief executive of the chairman for for the way the finances are at the RFU. It's been um, yeah a summer to forget for the authorities. I totally, totally agree with that. For me, uh, since since I was last with you, I'm not saying this because it was a fantastic front page story in the Sunday Times on Sunday. But referees and the RFU, together with all the directors of rugby of the Championship and the Premiership, and hopefully cascading down, are going to finally stop the the awful practices of appealing for decisions by players, of arguing back of goading by tapping players on the head, of the of the subs rushing on to congratulate people and of everyone rushing up to 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 um to congratulate their own team on a turnover, etc. Now we've heard this before, but Tony Spreadbury, head of refereeing at Trickham, the Supremo, is absolutely absolutely insistent that they're gonna carry this through. He said it is not a September thing. And when you think of it, all these bad behaviours, in my opinion, have crept back in slowly, perniciously, 
And, you know, when you get 16 people appealing for a decision, it just looks bad. And it's not rugby and more power to them. And the uh, World Rugby have picked up the baton. And uh, the, 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 the reaction we got to the article was absolutely phenomenal. So, Jones, you, you say it's been said before. And I, I remember you did a piece, similar piece, before the 2015 World Cup from World Rugby saying that exactly the same thing. Hmm. So why does Tony Spurry think it's come back? And why is he certain this time that it will stay? Well, I think, first of all, I think the, the main thing was that the World Cup was appealing. They stopped, They wanted to stop appealing. And actually, they did cut it down. But as usual with these things, hmm. when they say we've got to put the ball in straight, someone puts the ball in straight once and then they forget. So it is up to Spreadby, but he does have the buy-in of all the directors of rugby. So he can say, look, you know, he did say, and all the, all the referees are on side and they want it to cascade down and come on who the point is why what happened why is he doing it again well he's doing it again because the last time it didn't work it did not work al you, you, were you a bit of an appealer in your day uh well yeah actually i think this tempers my view on this a little bit because uh yeah i can't be a hypocrite and say that uh, i never uh, did this because yeah i was always saying ref he was offside he's offside he's offside mm. uh, all the time i think the thing for me is well firstly it's, it's worth clarifying that what world rugby have done so they brought in 9.27 a player must not disrespect the authority of the match official um and sanctions for that they're being brought in by world rugby the low end of that will be a two-week ban if someone's sent off for this the maximum they're saying is 52-week ban the thing for me is we can talk about the elite game as much as we want. It's the trickle-down effect, if there is going to be one, that I'm interested in. because, And this is just... The coverage of this has just happened in the last month or so. Um, we've seen an amateur player in Wales be banned for 22 months and fined £1,000 for assaulting a referee after receiving a red card. He was playing for Fairwater RFC. In July, a Kiwi spectator, 20 years old, ran onto a pitch and assaulted the referee. Ran on and assaulted a referee after the final whistle. He's been banned from all rugby for five years. And in Canada, just last week, the, there's been a lot of noise being made in Alberta, Edmonton, Alberta, about heckling and hooliganism on the rise uh, in Canada, based on what they describe as hockey behaviour. The thing for me is, I, I might, I think this might be a generational thing. I don't. This isn't the biggest issue for me in the game. Um, I believe, I, I think I believe I've read this a number of times before. However, if there is going to be an effect of it trickle down, I want to see the biggest effect of this is at the grassroots level. Because if you go on the RFU website and click through offences from the la disciplinary offences from the last few years, you'll be shocked how much is in there about attacks on officials. Yeah, the, well, the, the RFU were, were discussing this just the other day that at the lower level, punching is the worst, the most common offence. On the field, a match official abuse is the second most common offence, and the issues that that, that um, bother match officials at grassroots level are um, abuse on the field, but also abuse from the touchline, and they don't know how to deal with it or have the powers necessarily well, to deal with it. I mean, look, I've been in the community game as it's called for like two decades, and um, I'm probably by no means um, a shrinking violet when it comes to referees when I was coaching but in my opinion Ali is ta categorically the biggest issue in the game categorically because because the game the game is people keep on talking about oh, our values the values have gone down the down, down the gurgler as they say in Australia and to make it at least um, you know you, there's, you can't have jurisdiction over every, every referee but Tony Spreadby was categoric as well that this would have to trickle down and uh, the game's got to back them up Slotty? 
it's not the biggest issue in the game. The biggest issue in the game is whether it's a game that's fit for people to play because they'll get injured and uh, and people will stop playing it. That that for me is the biggest issue in the game. But that's something that we'll be talking about for the rest of the year, non-stop anyway. Um, but I, th- I think what Spreadbury's trying to do is uh, can only be a, a positive thing. I just want to know um, what sort of suspensions or whatever Al Dimmock would have got when he was playing because yeah. he's already conceded that he was in breach of all of these rules I think the statute on limitation for those has, has gone out so okay, seriously come back on the podcast if he's going to not even share his information no I don't think no. so well, we weren't going to ask him anyway <laughs> anyway guys that's a, that's a pretty fervent debate already dismissed by Alan Dimmock as a, a load of at free the elite free, end but, of the game but um, no it's look the elite end of the game is where all mothers all fathers all coaches and all potential rugby players. That's where they get their enthusiasm for the game and I'm afraid appealing and, and all that, it's uh, they're not gonna come back. They're not I think come just back. on the appealing, I think oh, oh. I, I think it I think it could be stamped out quite quickly. I think anyone I so. if anyone asks for a, a yellow card for a, an opposition player, they should have the pe- a penalty against them and march back ten yards. And I think if you if you did that, within three weeks it'd probably yeah. end. When the ball is dead uh, and, and say, say something happens and a player rushes in to congratulate someone when the ball is dead if he makes contact with an opponent it's a yellow card from now on so Bristol Bath are going to be the uh, that's going to be the, the big touchstone but let's, let's go on to uh, some um, uh, more general rugby matters but also the, the premiership Alex I love the premiership do you share my enthusiasm and how lucky we are that we got this tournament flat out week in week out to, to cover yeah I, I am excited about the new season I think this year with Bristol coming up in particular um, it'll be a it, it'll be a, a hell of a contest I think as you as you mentioned at the outset the year does stretch ahead and um, it threw into World Cup training camps and, and the World Cup but uh, the Premiership launched last week I sat down with four DORs um, for a chat and Pat Lamb uh, summed it up when he just said the season in any competition that leads into a World Cup is the best season in that four-year cycle because yeah. everything is heightened. The selection's up up for grabs. There are players who want to be at the, at the peak of their game. And yes, the season stretches ahead, but um, what, a, what, a, what great storylines we'll have, um, some great rugby, and everything will be will be geared up towards towards the, the, big, the big show at the end of it. I'll... Um we, we're fond of saying it's one of the most competitive leagues. The top could beat bottom, well, and, and bottom could beat top, etc. But um, last year that didn't really happen because London Irish were pretty pretty weak. But this year there's a chance if Bristol do get off the mark that it could be genuine and actually the bottom could beat the top. Well, I mean, you're right. Bristol, the story of Bristol is a fascinating one. It's it's really it is. I can understand the excitement levels building when you hear stuff like that from Pat Lamb. We were actually lucky enough to have Pat in Rugby World magazine. Uh, a few months back talking about the plans for the season ahead and he was saying make no bones about it he wants Bristol Rugby to be synonymous with Champions Cup he wants Mm. to be pushing at the very top level and you look at all the changes they've made okay Bristol by all accounts speaking to DORs down in the Championship Bristol maybe struggled a little bit uh, with their pack games but they still decimated everyone with their Mm. flaming back line they've made a lot of changes there and you're right they could really compete I think one of the few teams that you could say will be down at the bottom and it was fantastic to see Newcastle Falcons jump up into the playoffs last season and there's hope that that can happen again this term I still think a lot of people will be looking at Worcester Warriors and what they're doing and say okay we expect them to be down at the bottom scrapping but everyone else there's so many question marks yeah yeah but Worcester appear Al to bring in a new team every year really 
instead of instead of instead of building one. Oh, you, absolutely, and it's you, you sometimes wonder what their identity is. Yeah. The style of rugby they want to play. Okay, there's a strong South African ethos ethos in there of trying to play physical rugby, yeah. so it can be a bit turgid. But uh, okay, hopefully, hopefully they pull out some surprises. But I think the thing about Worcester, the thing about Worcester, if you look at the Premiership for this coming season. I'd say eleven teams have gone out of their way to imp- to really improve for this coming season, and I think Worcester have changed their team in order to do enough to try and stay up. Mm. I, I feel it's just a different attitude to everyone. I thought I think the other eleven teams, some of them you can't tell how good they're going to be. They might be they might be disappointing, but they it seems like they've pretty much all taken a step change forward. What about- I have a question about Sale? Actually, I'm not convinced that they're going to be any better, but. That's funny because I think Sale will be massively better. Steve Jones has actually written an article on this in the latest issue of Rugby World about how he expects Sale to march forward. I think Sale will be massively better. All Sale seem to do for some reason is is bring in um, fancy Dan wingers. Sale have Sale got a a big forward pack who are going to scare people? Huge, huge. Okay, they're all Godzillas. Um, Owen, Saracens have a bit of a faraway look in their eye at the moment, or they did at the launch. Strikes me that someone's going to have to be really, really good to beat them this year. Uh, yeah, I I think, um, well, I don't know, straw poll, because anyone else to say they won't come first, I think they'll come first. Um, yeah, they'll come first. I, I wonder if Exeter will still come second, actually. I, I think uh, Saracens are, are are so good, and they have players coming back in. You know, they, they had quite a, a, an injury-struck season last season. I think... Mm. I think it, of of the sort of the of the status quo, I wonder if extra the one that might struggle to okay. keep that position. Interestingly, you look at the ins and outs that clubs have made, and the big uh, you mentioned sea changes there for for some people taking steps forward. It's noticeable actually that Saracens and Exeter are two teams that have made brought in hardly any players because they've gone. We know what we've got. We mm. know what our strengths are. We're just going to work really really hard in pre season and that's almost the definition of yeah. a successful Absolutely, team. Isn't yeah. it? it is. See, Spurs haven't brought anyone in either. You see. Yeah. Yeah. And this podcast, you know, we started off with the same team we finished off last season. We did. Alex, a couple of teams um, may not be contenders for the very top, but they must, must, must improve on recent form. I'm thinking Bath, really, uh, and Gloucester. Bath are making a lot of noise, or they made a lot of noise, but not really been up there. I can see... Um I, I don't see Bath making huge strides forward again this season. I think we talked about Newcastle getting the top four. I think Gloucester are, are this year's team to break into that top four I, I just think they've re- recruited really strongly in, in key areas that, that had been weak for them in, in recent years basically up front um, Danny Cipriani is a brilliant signing for them um, and I thought there were there were signs last season of uh, of Ackerman getting them to play the way the way he wants and I, I, I think they will be one of the big one team to make big strides this season I, I can see Newcastle dropping down not not because they have dropped off but because I think I agree with you. So I think Sale can take a step forward. I think, um, but I think Gloucester will be the big marchers, the, the big improvers this season. Oh, okay. uh, Gloucester! Really, I think they're the, the the most interesting club of the new season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they they're the club that I think have changed the most. There's like a complete culture change in there. Mm. So I agree. It looks like on paper, wow! Look at look at all their recruitment, Cipriani and and twenty South Africans, but. Obviously, slightly sarcastic on that. They they got five really good South African players come in. Mm. That that could really change the, the culture of the club. The, 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 what was there last season? So you, you bring in Cipriani, who's going to want to lead the game, change the way they play, lead the way they play. And those South Africans, I mean, it potentially could be brilliant. But that that's a big change. Most other 
teams will be largely the way they were last season, but a bit better or a few new faces. But it's, it, it's a big change, but it's not a gamble, I don't think, because Ackerman knows so many of those players because he's coached them before. So he they're going to come in. He, he knows them, but they also understand what he's building. Because but what if, what, what, so no, that's not a gamble, but what if the other players in the club go, Christmas, we're all um, eating built on and talking, talking in foreign languages? I mean, I'm not. I'm, that sounds sarcastic. It is sarcastic, but but th- there is. It's, it, it could be them and an us. It could be a clique. It, you know, th- that's what they've got to avoid. But, but listen, overseas players uh, are all something of a gamble. The guys you think are going to be brilliant are not, and the guys you think why why they got them for often are. So it is a gamble whether they fit in, whether it's a culture shock for them. Ali, you mentioned Worcester. I mean, it's important to remember when Mark Evans was on uh, the ruck last year. He said that Worcester are regarded by financial people and students of the commercial side of the game as definitely, definitely a strong club there for the there, there for the making. You've got great facilities, you've got great supporter base, loyal, uh, and and they're, they're not too near anyone else, or they're not far from Gloucester. And they always say there is a club there. But, I mean, it seems to be a bit of a fumble there. And Alan Solomons has had his ups. He's definitely had his downs as a coach. So that's, that's hope. But they hope they do well. I really love going there. And that's hope that um, they shine. But I think when Sotty said earlier that um, they've just recruited to stay up, I think that's, that's the problem they've got. They have owners who've been trying to sell the club hmm. for a year. They've been, they, you know, they've been trying to attract investors to take over the ownership and haven't succeeded. Hmm. So they're not really committed to building it. They're just trying to maintain premiership status so they can... I'm guessing it. their total wages would be the least of the premiership. I would have thought so. Oh, yeah, Let's go on to another problem club, uh, Aldermac um, Harlequins. Um, brand new coach, never um, Paul Gustard, never coached, uh, never been the main man before. Now he is the main man. Uh, what do you see? Do you see them making the charge up the table? Um, not on pre-season form, but then again, when does pre-season form ever teach anything? They're making mm. the right noises. Mm. Um, they are talking about a complete culture change. We've heard stories about a giant bear being brought into the changing room. We know with Gustard that there will be a few gimmicks brought in there. It's finding out about the substance behind it now. You're talking about the big changes that they've made in terms of personnel. They've brought in a lot of good club pros, and what I mean by that is they're not bringing in guys that they will lose during international windows. So Nick Otterack, young loose heads from Bath, for example, they've brought him in because they need, they know that they'll need him during an international window. They know they know what they, he's a known quantity in the Premiership. Um, Nathan Elp, an exciting young player from Saracens, who we, we expected a lot from, he's gone there. Those are the these are the kind of guys that we'll play see playing all season, but. Do they have the X factor? Do they have the way of bursting open games? I don't know if you can rely on culture to get that. New culture's fantastic, but the idea of busting a game wide open and winning games when it's close at the end with a bit of magic, I'm not sure. Surely, but surely they do have X factor. I mean, this was the, the number of internationals in that team suggests that they should be bursting games open. Yeah, I, I think last season unravelled on them, and they ended up worse than than they are as a team if that makes sense Completely, yeah, they gave yeah. they gave up on a, on, a, on a season that was was running away from them so i think i think their base level is much better than they were um but their defense was shocking and they've just recruited the best defense coach just, available just just to put the final seal on the premiership then shall, should we trouble ourselves for one name as champions just with just one name one word answer owen saracens Sar- saracens 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 for me that's 4-0 uh, what so. about who's going to go down Oh, sorry. You wanted that as the final thing, didn't you? I've, I've just said, 
totally throwing us. No, I just had another idea. Who's going to go down? <laughs> Worcester. Yeah, I think Worcester as well. Worcester. I just think if they can get it together a bit, they can be okay. So I'll say probably not Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Other leagues, of course, the Guinness Pro 14 um, this year takes on a very different aspect if you're watching it from your armchair because it's a brand new broadcaster. Premier Sports and also EIR Sport. Uh, who was the, was the uh, collective question when they were announced because they kicked out, uh, the, the, the leagues kicked out uh, BBC Wales and they kicked out Sky. You have a certain pedigree when it comes to covering rugby and they said that it was because they were prepared to lose viewers because it would make uh, a lot of difference financially there was a huge injection of money um, our investigations one of my colleagues in the Sunday Times revealed that it was nothing like a huge injection of money it was it varied from one club told us 150,000 the best we could get was 250,000 which is one player or two players so to throw away all your well part of your a terrestrial and a big satellite broadcaster was a heck of a risk. So what they're doing, I'm not 100% sure, and it's baffled a lot of other people as well. Doesn't that slightly reflect this, the climate of TV money and um, the battle for broadcasting rights, which we assume is, is only ever going to escalate, but it seems to have flattened out completely, hasn't it? it been... Well, it has, but no one's going to give you a heck of a, heck of a, a, a bun to do it. You should go away. Many people think you should go where the best audiences and the best promotion is going to be anyway it's going to be obviously it's going to be acted on the field as, as well um in my opinion the key to the whole thing is it is not being competitive and as we said in the paper on sunday the key to the whole thing are the four welsh regions they've been pretty either pretty poor or abysmally poor if they can um if they can rise up this year and at least three of them can be good then two things happen a it's much more competitive and b johnny sexton has got to play an away game. Owen, I'll give you the first guess. How many away games in the last two years has Johnny Sexton played for Leinster in the Pro 14? In the regular season? Yeah. Um, I'll go one. One. He yeah. has only ever played once away in against any Welsh club. Did I get it right? I, yeah, you did. And good luck mean- to him, because if you, if you don't need Johnny Sexton, well, leave him at home. But it's never going to be competitive unless it's flat out, and the division is not flat out. Al, do you want to say anything about the... Um, well, what's your overall impression about it? And also, if you could, uh, just see, is this a year when Glasgow or Edinburgh are going to win it? Because there's a, there's a lot of rising about there. Well, interestingly, I think a lot of people were actually predicting in the off-season that Edinburgh might do better than Glasgow this year, which yeah. is a turn-up for the books, but Richard Cockrell made some fantastic strides last season. He's shaping a squad that he wants, 
Now, John Barkley come in. He's got John yeah. Barkley. Unfortunately, John Barkley will be is injured, um, oh, no. which does not help. But um, you know, there are a lot of positive noises. Yeah, but he's uh, got John, an injured John Barkley coming. <laughs> that's good. Uh, whereas Glasgow still need to find that that brutal edge that they they maybe miss. But again, they play f- um, fantastic rugby on the league overall. Actually, I heard, heard some interesting comments from Donica O'Callaghan, who's just finished playing for Worcester. Um, is is into punditry now? He's working for. Is it EIR or Air Sports? EIR, yeah. Um, he's working for them uh, through the season. I saw a video with him this morning where he was saying that actually one of the interesting things is the pace of the Pro 14 keeps going up. In comparison to the Premiership, he believes that the Pro 14 is much quicker. It'll be an interesting way to see, this is just his view, uh, it's a way to see how people will cope with that. And uh, there are a core of entertaining teams. Leinster, as you mentioned there at the top, are at the forefront of that. The fact that they can afford to lose a few players... Uh, they can let Joey Carberry go and be the fly half at Munster. Um, they can let Jordy Murphy go off to Ulster and still go, hey, look at the strength and depth we've got. I mean, that is a frightening squad that Leinster have got. Hmm. Arthur, um, top 14 in France. Um, I'm not going to ask you to go through the under-21 team from... Um, <laughs> from but, uh, but France got hammered in New Zealand, but there were one or two signs of players coming through. They've also now got um, um, really radically reduced the number of foreign players in the, in, the, in the teams. I think the penny may even be dropping, that it can't be as stodgy as it was. Do, do you sense uh, a revival, and do you look forward to seeing top 14 games as we should? Yeah, I, I do, and, and I think that the biggest... It, um sign that, that that change in selection policy for like is is working was was the France under 20 team that absolutely demolished their way mm. through to winning the title on on, on home soil <laughs> and though and one of the reasons they were so strong was because a lot of those players had played a lot of top 14 rugby mm. which they wouldn't have had the chance to play 4 years ago because um the French league was 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 welcoming the superstars and and the not so superstars from abroad on big big money and and while the salary cap over there is still massive and and it's a, and it's a wonderfully entertaining league <coughs> at times that the fact that that France team was packed full of really exciting young stars who were getting top fourteen time I think shows a, a promising future. I just think that's I think that's really interesting because France effectively showing the way to England. Because in English club rugby, there's eternally this this bemoaning, and correctly so, that the young that the that the the up and coming young players are struggling to get enough top level rugby. And there you are, as you, as you say, that the French under twenty team were absolutely blisteringly good in that in that um, junior World Cup. And I think we overlook the amount of non English players uh, playing in the Premiership and the negative effect it has on the rise of the next generation. Completely. So that England, England get to the final of the Under-20s World Cup virtually every year. There's then a big tail-off, or certainly a, a gap between them playing in that level and reaching the England team, bar a few exceptions. It is, it, the, the, the average age is coming down, Nick Izzeku, for example. But if you look, the three players from that team were caught up into England's pre-season training camp. I don't imagine any of them will play more than... 10 games in the Premiership this season. Well, why not uh, do what they're trying to do for ages and make the Championship where it should be? Then you'd have have some of them to play. Because the Premiership won't allow it. Because they want their A-League. I don't... uh, Well, the A-League is rubbish. Slotty, actually, I disagree. I don't think there are enough foreign players in England. 
Oh, good. Well, debate's healthy around here. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm in charge this week anyway. <laughs> <laughs> next week, next week, the other other answer will be true. Bad news for anyone who's trying to run down the All Blacks as well, guys, because they were absolutely superlative on Saturday morning our time against Australia. Absolutely superlative. And uh, actually, Argentina now stopped behaving, uh, believing in fairy tales because they were also superb um, against South Africa. And I thought one or two of those young Argentine backs looked sensational. I think we're going to have <laughs> have a hell of a job not making All Blacks favourites for the World Cup. But Owen, um, for our now regular God of the Week award, or Goddess of the Week it could be, yeah, no, this is an exciting new feature on this podcast. Mm. <clears throat> and for me, if we are going to... Well, Arthur didn't like it because he started moaning when we said, who's your God of the Week? Oh, no, but he's it... gonna, he'll warm up to it slowly. Oh, right, okay, I right, think okay, in a few okay. weeks' time he'll be bouncing right. in saying, I've got a new goddess. All oh, right, OK. <clears throat> um, uh, so, it, so for our first God of the Week, there can only really be one contender, in my opinion, which is, uh, you mentioned the All Blacks and how good they were and, and how good he was, was Bowden Barrett, four tries, a fifth try disallowed. Uh, sensational vision handling and pace more than anything um, Bowen Barrett got of the week um, I mean that's a strong contender there because well I mean that's really it's the only it's the, it's the only dog in the race here uh, with him because his support play as well as his creation is just obscene I, I, minor note though for some uh, maybe demigods mm-hmm. of the week because top 14 that we've just spoken about there has, has just kicked off if you get a chance to see the try that Cheslin Colby set up uh, for Johan Huji in Toulouse he skinned pretty much everyone on the field including the referee to, to set up a try and Finn Russell two tries on his debut for yeah. Racing Racing 92 that's a hell of a start for him in Paris right okay I think probably we still got on Bowden at the moment Bowden Barrett but uh, uh, Alex I'm not playing because I don't like this feature he's not playing okay, no no like I, I'll agree with Slotty I'll agree with Slotty I think um, it, it was it was a performance which legitimately sparked the debate about whether Bowden Barrett or Dan Carter in that Lions tour in that second test, which was the best performance. Um, we talk about the Wellington second Lions yeah, test in '05. Um, yeah, it was just so had was Carter's. On that was regarded as Carter's best ever game, yeah. and was Barrett's game on on Saturday better than that? Okay, well, Bowden, the first God of the Week award goes to twelve goes twelve thousand miles to the south. Thank He'll you be very delighted, won't he? Pardon? He'll be delighted. Um, Will you inter- be interrupting me a lot this time? What, um, what, what, so have we worked out what his prize is? Um, no, it's, uh, it'll be donated by Pierre Cardin, our sponsors. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Harry's Razor. That's it for the first ruck. Thanks so much for downloading us and listening to us. If you wanted to react to anything we said or anything you'd like to hear, please write to us, theruck at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, thanks to Big Al... Little Slotty and huge Arthur for being with us today. We'll be back next week and we'll be talking about the women's premiership. So there's a chance of the God of the Week being a goddess. Thanks a million. Have a great season, everybody. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.